Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. We're glad that you're with us today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. As you're turning there, I have a question for you. How would you define friendship? Here are a few attempts I found. A friendship is a state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two people. A shorter form of that. A friendship is a bond of affection between two people. Also found another more descriptive rather than definitive statement on friendship. A friendship is one that knows you as you are, understands where you have been, accepts what you have become, and still gently allows you to grow. I think we would all agree that having healthy friendships is a, an admirable and, and noteworthy goal in life. And we would probably say to some degree of agreement that a healthy friendship is a relationship of trust and support, honesty, accountability, and respect that is shared together. Yet culturally speaking... Friendships are in the midst of a a very great and stark recession, especially for men. Broadly, since 1990, adults, both men and women, have seen the number and quality of friendships drop, with only 59% of the adult population saying they would have someone in their life that they would call a, quote, best friend. Furthermore, 61% of adults in our country report being lonely, with men feeling lonelier than women. In fact, 15% of men say they have no close friends at all, drastically up from 3% in 1990. These statistics and many more come from the Survey Center on American Life Findings in 2021, and I don't think much has changed them, at least not to the better since. Now, there are many... Complex variables that feed these alarming statistics, but it's not a surprise considering where we are in our culture, its values, and its realities today. And there may be many of us sitting here right now who feel the ache and know the ache for friendship. We feel the pull for it, the desire. We long for it. Why? I think, well, an overarching variable inherent to the collective ache for friendship is that we were actually made for friendship. We were actually made for that kind of deep bond. The Christian faith holds to the belief that God created mankind for a relational bond. This bond first is with God and then also with each other in varying degrees of affection and esteem and intimacy and trust. This summer I want us to tackle the idea of friendship, specifically first by looking at what friendship with God looks like. And my hope is that the obstacles between what we believe and our experience of our belief would be removed as we grow in daily awareness, experience, and enjoyment of being friends with God. And that from that, 
the byproduct or the overflow of friendship with, with God would be growth in greater intentionality to build meaningful bonds of friendship together, creating a place where people trade in their isolation and loneliness for friendship, friendship with God, friendship with one another. We will begin by considering how we are saved for friendship. And then next week, we'll get an overview of the friendship we have with the Trinity. And then the rest of the summer will be spent looking at our friendship with each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. If you'd like to add a book to your summer read list, you can follow along with Mike McKinley's book, Friendship with God, A Path to Deeper Fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. I'll be mostly following the path he laid out in his wonderfully encouraging book. So now, with that said, let's turn our attention to some pretty significant words that begin the Apostle John's first letter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 together. 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we ask that you'd be with us, um, that you do good work in our hearts. You draw near to our hearts that might be feeling isolated or alone or lonely. That we would know your nearness through the gospel. That would bring great courage and comfort to our very lives. So as we come to your word, we pray that you would do these things and draw near to us in this way. To your glory and to our good. In Christ's name, amen. So saved for friendship. Saved for friendship. Maybe that's startling to you. Maybe that strikes you as a little bit out of balance. It's not how you view God. He's authoritative. He's a judge. He's a ruler. So the idea of friendship seems foreign. Or maybe there's a lack of the kinds of uh, relational bonds in your life. And so friendship seems foreign on a lateral level, on an earthly level, on a day-to-day level. And so this could be a hard idea to work through. And so as we spend some weeks in that this summer, I hope it's an encouragement to you. Because we are saved for friendship. And as we look at this passage There are three things I want us to wrestle with. First of all, the means of friendship with God. The means. How do we get it? How do we have it? The nature of that friendship. What kind of friendship is it that we have with God? And then we're going to end where the last verse that we read ends, and that's with joy. The joy of this friendship. So hopefully this will be a good encouragement, a timely encouragement for us. First up is the means of this friendship. How can we have friendship with God? Let's look again at those first two verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What is John talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the fact that he's witnessed Jesus. He's seen Jesus, and Jesus has come to accomplish something that we couldn't accomplish on our own. He came to give what we could never gain. He came to do what we could never do. Jesus arrives, and so for John, creatively begins his letter by very much focusing in on Jesus. And that's telling us then this means of friendship is through salvation. It is through salvation. John's letter sounds like the beginning of John's gospel account, which sounds like the beginning of the Bible. And all of that is on purpose. Because from the beginning, John is talking about Jesus, who became incarnate. That is, he took on our humanity. He became flesh and blood. He lived an actual life, died an actual death, rose from an actual grave to secure for his people an actual salvation. And John is witnessing to this. He is speaking of this. He is sharing this. He is delighting in this. And it is our means by which we get to share in and delight in what he's talking about. Jesus put on Put flesh and blood on God's plan of salvation. A plan to overcome the obstacle of our sin. And what that obstacle brings. So think with me. There, if we are to have a friendship with God, then there is this massive obstacle between us and that friendship. Between us and God. On one side of the obstacle is a God who is holy and perfect. He's infinite. He's without limit. He's eternal, without time. He's above time. He created time. That's fun. <laughs> He's great in all the ways that great means. He, he never diminishes. He never grows tired. He never grows weary. He, he doesn't even improve because he's already the fullness of what he is. He's God. And then we see the other side of the obstacle is us. Right? We're tired and we're growing tired. The preacher's preaching, so the tiredness is settling in. (laughs) We know limits. We're bound by time. But we also know our thoughts. We know the words that we've said this past week. We know the actions that we've done. We know the things that we've struggled with and wrestled with. And so there feels like a giant obstacle and a giant gulf between us and that God. How in the world can that God be friends with somebody like me? So I won't even use the collective we. I'll just say me. How can that God be friends with Sean Carpenter? Well, there's this reality that this sin brings into our lives. Sin, somebody here may be wondering, what in the world does that word even mean? Well, sin is... Rejecting and rebelling against God. It's rejecting God, His works, His ways, His word, and rebelling against it. It's, like, I it's, it's ultimately living as if there's no God to worry about. That's sin. Sin, because of that, we are naturally not God's friends. We are naturally God's enemies. We're dead to God. We're haters of God. We're children of wrath. I know that's kind of hard news to hear. The Bible is very painfully, surgically clear about that news. 
Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, it goes on to explain this glorious work that Jesus does for us. But notice what it says about us. It says we are enemies of God. And while we were actively being enemies of God, God's saving purposes came about. So he didn't wait till we were like on his team. It was while we were enemies. Or think of Ephesians 2.1, the spiritually walking dead. We were dead to God. We were not alive to God. We were dead to him. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We weren't alive to God. We were, we were dead to him. Or think back in, earlier in Romans 1.30, at the end of Romans chapter 1, running through a list of the consequences of sin and the way that we look at life and live it out. And, and it describes in great detail where the human heart can go when it rebels and rejects God. And in that list, notice in 130, it says we're slanderers and haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Think of Ephesians 2, 3. It says, by nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This obstacle exists between us and God, between me and God. And how are we going to overcome that obstacle? Well, the other devastating reality is we don't even really want to. How, that, how about that alarm? Romans 3, 10, and 11 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. We don't even, because of sin, we don't even desire to know God. We don't even want this friendship. We don't even care that there is an obstacle to the friendship with God, let alone have the ability to do anything about it. So the problem here, the predicament is, we can't be friends with God because we don't want to be friends with God, and we don't have the ability to be friends with God. There's this great obstacle. We can't do anything about it. Not that we really want to. Now, that we're all in that little fun pit together. One of, the, one of the many, and I mean that, many incredible things that we can say about the Christian message of salvation is this. It is God doing the work to make us friends. It is God overcoming the obstacle of our sin so that we could be God's friends. That God would make us his friends. So that is Jesus entering into our humanity to do what we could not do or want to do in order to give what we could not gain. And John's description here in these opening verses that we read is very, did you notice it? It's very tactile. It's tangible. Three times in, three verse, in these verses, John gives a run of three tangible descriptions of what they have witnessed in the saving work of Jesus. So it's not just like ethereal, theoretical, big picture in the sky kind of stuff. John saying, no, this is real. This is actual. And in verse 2, he says that they're proclaiming the eternal life. That this is eternal life that they are proclaiming. Which is really important for our understanding of what friendship with God means. Eternal life. We see that in another part of John's writings. And that's in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3. And maybe your thoughts went to that already for those who are familiar with those words. In John 17, 3, he says this. 
Jesus is praying and he's speaking to the Father. And Jesus says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It is the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But what kind of knowledge? Is Jesus simply talking about the information about God? Is he talking about the propositional statements about God? The theological doctrine about God? The orthodox belief about God? What is that knowledge meaning? Is it just the accumulation of facts that you can win in trivia or or debate? Or is he talking about something more? Well, the word there for know is a word that is used to describe a deep, personal, intimate knowledge that can only exist in the deep bond of fellowship and communion and friendship. So to know God, to know Him through faith in Jesus is to be brought into a deep bond of affection between two people, you and this God. And the characteristic of that bond is that it's eternal, it's not bound by time, and that it is life. This is the means, the means of friendship with God is solely through the salvation secured by Jesus. He didn't just simply save us from a bunch of dumb stuff that we've done and all of its ridiculous consequences. He didn't save us from a, just simply save us from a penalty we could never repay. But he also saved us into something. And that into something is this eternal life, this knowing God, this friendship with God. That is our means. And what kind of friendship then do we have? What kind of friendship do we have with God? What is the nature then of this friendship? We'll look again at verse 3 of our passage for today. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What kind of friendship do we have with God? The answer is the sharing in the relationship that the Father, Son, and Spirit have. That's just mind-blowing here. To share in what God already enjoys. That kind of friendship. So let's, I, bear with me for a second. The greatest friendship or fellowship in all of the cosmos is that of the triune God. I know, it's hard. Trinity is hard. We spent nine weeks talking about it. I don't know if we got anywhere with it in our adult classes. It's hard stuff. It's hard to understand one God in three persons. The Trinity is one God, only one God, and there are three divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and they are co-equal and co-eternal. They have perfect relationship, perfect fellowship, perfect communion. It's, it's glorious in every possible way. It transcends our thoughts. We can't even like corral it all because it's that amazing. In that, we see that who God is and what God is and that God is, is one Father, Son, and Spirit. And they have perfect fellowship together. 
Salvation brings us into that, brings us in to share in that fellowship, to share in that friendship. The word there for fellowship in verse 3 means to share in, to share in something. So that means we are saved to share in what God has enjoyed for all eternity. And therefore, we who are trusting in Christ for salvation will enjoy for all eternity evermore. Staggering. We did, we're not just saved from something. Though that is great. It's worth all the songs. It's worth it. But it's also amazing that we're shared, saved to, into something. To share in something. And that something is this perfect fellowship. Father, Son, and Spirit share. Now, again, God takes the initiative to overcome the obstacle because then we could look at the Father, Son, and Spirit and think, like, that's like a clique that I'm never good enough to be a part of. They're the mean girls, and I'm on the outside, and there's no way I could ever qualify to be a part of what they have. And the staggering thing is, God did all the work, took all the initiative, has displayed all the willingness to bring all of his people in to share in what he has. That means that the sharing in what God has eternally enjoyed is not conditional to our goodness, but to God's. The sharing in what God has eternally enjoyed is not conditional to your goodness or my goodness meeting the mark. It's conditional to God's goodness counting for us. In his book, Mike McKinley draws that out and says this. The amazing discovery of the gospel is this. That when we draw near to God We find not anger at our failures and sins, but sympathy, mercy, and grace to help us in our time of need. What kind of friendship, the kind that shares in the joy of the character and goodness of God. And so for us, the guilt, the regret, the embarrassment, the shame that we struggle with on and off and on again throughout this life is not how God sees you through Jesus. Your status in this friendship with God is not sitting under the weight of a probationary period, whether it's 90 days or 90 years. It's not probationary. Turning to Jesus through faith in his life, death, and resurrection makes you God's friend. And get this, you can never be his enemy again. That's the kind of friendship That Christ has established, secured for us. The means of our friendship with God is Jesus. The nature of this friendship with God is that we get to share in what God has enjoyed. Therefore, if Jesus has secured it for us, and we get to share in what God has enjoyed, then it seems logical that then it leads us to experience that joy In this friendship. And that's where we end. The joy of friendship. Where does friendship with God lead? It leads to joy. Verse 4. 
And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Friendship with God is a lifelong pursuit of joy enjoyed. And I say it that way on purpose. It is the lifelong pursuit of joy enjoyed. That the ultimate destination of friendship with God is joy enjoyed. When he says that your joy may be complete, the word there for complete means to be filled or to be filling to the full. To be filling to the full. That God's desire in this friendship with you is that your joy would be filling to the full in this life, but also forevermore. God's desire is for our joy to be to the full. God desires friendship with us. And we have friendship with God because God has made us friends with him. And all of that is then going to fill fill our lives with this thing called joy. I love um, how in looking back throughout church history, there are times and moments in which the church wrestled with all kinds of things and, and put together ways in which they have articulated the faith. In one particular moment in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question asks this, what is the chief end of man? What's the point? What is the purpose? What is the point? And the answer, so simply stated, but yet so deeply worthy of reflection, says to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him forever. I love that. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The journey of friendship with God is a lifelong growth in awareness and experience and enjoyment of this friendship. How do we do that? How do we joy? How, how do we experience joy enjoyed? Especially in life that can be hard and harsh. Especially with our own hearts that can wander and hurt. How do we experience joy enjoyed when there's plenty of experiences of the inverse of that? Well, first of all, we need to see and understand the means of our friendship and the nature of that friendship. We need to rehearse the truths of those things to our hearts regularly. And then we also need to understand that just like in any friendship that you have with any person, it's a two-way street. A friendship is a a two-way street. It's not just a one-way street. Now, we believe the basis of our faith is that it was one-way action. That's a brought about this friendship, God doing the work. But the friendship that's enjoyed in this life is a two-way street. So if you were to open up your phone and and click on one of your friends and you scroll through it and you see that you're doing all the texting, maybe that's a little one-sided. Maybe that's a hurt. Maybe you wish there was something more there. For us, We see that God has given us the means to enjoy the friendship. He has given us the means not only of the friendship, but also the means to enjoy it. He has helped us see the two-way street. God has done, first of all, all the work to establish this friendship. Theologians call this union with God. That's our union with God. As we believe in Jesus, we're in Christ And so that all that is Christ is now counted to us. And so it is that union. That union cannot be broken by anything outside of it. 
Our act of response to God's gracious gift is what theologians, theologians call communion. It is the enjoyment of the union. It is the enjoyment of that friendship that has been established by God. We could call this the pursuit of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust, to borrow one of our definitions of friendship that we began with. So how do we do that then? We need to rehearse to our hearts that God is the one who establishes this union and has provided these gifts for us to enjoy in communion. We pursue the deep bond of friendship with God through the means of communion God has given us to enjoy. For example, prayer is a means by which we can experience the joy of friendship with God, the deep bond of friendship with God. Delighting in God's word is means by which we can enjoy the deep bond of friendship with God. Obedience to how God would have us live is means by which we can go about enjoying the deep bond of friendship with God. Now notice how I said that and worded that. Obedience is not the, the kickstarter. It's not the fuel to us getting to have this friendship with God. It is the overflow of a friendship that God has already established. That we then live in light of who God is and what God has done for us. And we want to live in ways that bring delight to God who is so delighted in us. To rescue us. To call us his own. To call us his friends. The Lord's Supper, which maybe that's the thought that came to your mind right away when I said the word communion. The Lord's Supper, or another way to say that, the gathering of all of us together to set our heads and our hearts, our thoughts and our affections on God to remember and to rejoice and to rely upon his grace, which gets so beautifully symbolized and pictured and enjoyed together when we take the Lord's Supper. These are, and there are many more, but these are examples of ways and gifts that God has given to us to enjoy that friendship with him. These gifts are to be enjoyed. They are not works to be performed. When we see them as gifts to be enjoyed, then what happens over time is that we realize that they are the means for our affection and esteem and intimacy and trust to flourish and thrive. Even in the midst of hurried or hard or harsh circumstances in this life. The good news in the midst of all of this is that God's desire is to have friendship with his people. And that he's overcome all of the obstacles to stand in way of that sort of friendship. That he's brought us in to share in something that is eternal and is joy forevermore. And that he has given us gifts in this life, in this very life, to taste and see that the Lord is good. To enjoy God even now. To enjoy that friendship even now. And so I don't want anybody here to leave burdened and confused and heartbroken because you don't feel like you qualify for friendship with God. Rather, I want, I want you to hear that God has made this friendship available through the gospel and all those who turn to Christ and trust in his life, death, and resurrection are saved from their sin and saved into this friendship. And that you may have to rehearse to your heart the words that close one of the chapters in this book that Mike McKinley has thoughtfully put together. These words, we might be tempted to think 
that people like us could never love and be loved by a holy God. But perhaps we could say that the very first step toward enjoying fellowship with God is to realize that he wants you to be his friend. So let's counter maybe some cultural tide of friendship recession. And maybe counter our own weak or wobbly hearts by the truth of who God is, what God has done, and his desire for us to be his friends. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you as we think upon it and set our heads and our hearts on it. As we see here in its pages, your purpose, your plan, your work to bring about our salvation from our sins and into fellowship and friendship with you, that that would be truly good news for our hearts as we think on these things, that it would bring a sense of peace and comfort and courage and confidence to our hearts. And that in that we would experience in increasing ways the joy of being your friend. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.